mini-series of Associated. Hopefully you've listened to our last couple of episodes where first and foremost we went through the questions that VCs asks about why you want to join their fund, etc. Then our second episode about going through company evaluation. And this third episode is probably going to be quite a lot of fun, I think, where we delve into the personal questions that venture capital firms uh, ask you. But first, of course, I want to introduce you to my co-host today. It is the amazing, the wonderful Tunde. How are you, Tunde? Hey, I'm, I'm good. Just sitting here thinking about all the personal questions that I, <laughs> I wish I got to answer and just willing to overshare in this episode. Yeah, willing to get personal on this one. But um, I suppose I would be curious to know, what do you think was the part that you really excelled at in these job interviews? Was, was it these personal questions or was it the you kind of were quite good at the questions that you asked the VCs, the the company evaluation, the why you want to work there? Where do you think your strengths lie? Um, you know, I, I don't know whether it's a good finger or bad, but I quite like these personal questions. I mean, I also like asking asking VCs questions because you can completely control that. But I really like these personal questions because it's always a bit of like an exercise in spin and framing. And I mean, even though I have strayed very far away from my like law degree, playing with words is, is, has always been close to my heart. So this is part where you get to flex of it. Mm, okay, so you should be very good with these questions. Shall I dive into the first one? Touch wood. Yeah, let's let's do that. All right then. So let let's go easy on this one, right? So why do you think you would be a good investor? Is a very common question that is often asked, right? Yeah, and uh, you know that that's a that's a great question and one which is really common. But maybe before we we like unpack how you would answer that one one thing which might be beneficial to, to the listeners is understanding why the funds are even asking you this type of question in the first place. Mm, um, yeah. I can have a crack at explaining that, but you know, the main reason is that funds are typically extremely small, um, especially at the early stage. And so for better or for worse, they are extremely focused on who they have around them because if you are joining a team of you know five six seven eight then your kind of personality your motivations etc are going to be quite impactful on the one the overall team dynamic but also just the results of the fund one other thing to note is that vc life in most funds is pretty solitary so you are often left kind of to your own devices even more so during covid but even when it was physical, you would often be on your own representing the fund on calls to entrepreneurs, doing your own scouting, sourcing, diligence, etc. So being able to have like the type of personality where you can you know, adequately represent the fund and also work hard on your own is a benefit to the funds. And they, they're kind of trying to figure that out. Right, exactly. So it's the cultural fit and that representation of you as a firm being complementary to them as well as your own unique person. So yeah, the personal questions is all about bringing out who you are and aligning it with maybe what and who they are looking for um, as their new team player. So back to my question, why do you think you would be a good investor, Tindy? Yeah, so I don't think you could get through an interview without being asked some version of this. Sometimes it's also framed in terms of like, what are your strengths and weaknesses? And you should kind of view answering this as a chance to essentially display all of the things that you think would make you good at the job or, you know, so to speak, better than the other candidates. There are a number of different angles that you can answer this from. So some approaches I've seen or some approaches I've used have called to maybe a unique insight that you have into the way the world works. So I know, for example, um, some associates that I know have maybe a specialism in, in something like cryptocurrencies or climate tech, et cetera, which they can really prove or like a, a specialism in an area that the fund is interested in. And they can kind of leverage that as like a sign, something useful that the fund lacks. I've also seen um, 
people answer answer this in the sense that they have access to like a specific maybe community or pool of founders that the fund would otherwise not have access to so people who can really you know build community have their own source of deal flow i want to just actually pick up on the first point that you that you made like I understand that some funds would be looking for people with specific expertise or understanding of a particular sector, but why does that actually make them a good investor? Arguably, yeah, arguably it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe you can expand on that a bit more, because if if I was just thinking from like an interviewer perspective, if someone was just like, I know a lot about this space, that doesn't necessarily mean like, excuse my friend, shit. If if you if you can't actually apply it in an investing context, because there's so many other ways you can apply it, and knowledge of a sector in, in in a particular shape or form. So just like interesting to know that you, for example, I know Tendi write blogs um, about particular sectors to show off your knowledge in the space. But I feel like you took it to the next level in demonstrating like how you would apply that to an investor's perspective. So like, could you dive a little bit more into that? Yeah. So I I guess having or being able to display knowledge of a space is, is one thing. And I guess the, the trick there is to also display knowledge of a space coupled with investor-like instinct. So one of the things that knowledge of a, of a space gives you is, you know, for better or for worse, this kind of um, pattern recognition that venture capitalists always talk about, where you have seen, you know, multiple kind of analogs in that space and you you kind of have a frame of reference for what is likely to work, what is not likely to work, which puts you in an advantageous position versus versus you know someone who doesn't have knowledge of that space and even maybe some people at the fund that you're interviewing at who would not be able to kind of um tell tell the difference between a and b um i think i think the other thing about today knowledge of a space is it shows that you can actually acquire knowledge so you have a history of, of doing that and that's attractive to a fund because you know, they may be able to take the bet that even if that space isn't particularly interesting to them or there aren't that many opportunities there, you're able to kind of amass a type of expertise in, in a new area that was that, that, that was to come up and, you know, make better informed investments there. I don't know if that was clearer. Yeah, no, I think that's really nice. And then to your almost second point is if you've got that ingredients of understanding a market really well and couldn't put an investor lens on it, but then also have built a community within that sector that you can tap into and a source companies from that network, but also experts, potential board members, potential co-investors, that is an absolute gold mine for a fund to to acquire so that that that's something to to consider but I, I i would say that it's absolutely not a must to have a specialism going in agreed yeah. agreed and actually if i was to you know if i'm to open the kimono a bit my answer to this question was not an appeal to kind of some community or specific domain knowledge what i did was basically use my 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 background which was having spent time across investment banking spent some time in uh, in, a, in a high growth startup and then also spent some time doing some VC internships and I can combine all three of those to weave a story about how I could kind of look a bit into the future to look at how a company looks like when it's very mature and really kind of unpick the let's say, you know, the unit economics, the long-term prospects of a business and a business model, combine that with, you know, experience of actually helping grow a company at around Series A and also helping them fundraise, as well as some of the learnings I got from working in a later stage fund just on an internship basis and felt that that whole kind of, let's say, suite of different bits of experience that I had combined to make someone who would be 
quite good at an early stage in terms of firstly identify companies that had a chance of doing well later and also given that icebreaker is a fairly operational fund help to position those companies for growth so the latter part is less how are you as an investor but maybe how are you more like portfolio operations but i guess the the crux of it is you know everyone can maybe position different parts of their experience in a way that makes them unique. So my uniqueness was in the, the wacky combination of things that I'd done. And you, your uniqueness, you know, maybe in something very kind of salient, like, you know, I write the biggest blog on crypto, or I have a podcast where I interview, I've interviewed every associate in, in European VC. Um, yeah. <laughs> or, 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 or it could be something completely different. Right. No, I think I think that's a very good answer in that you have all your experiences that you've you've done along the way and painted into a story which makes you a good investor. But perhaps I think it's it would be interesting to almost go even higher level in terms of like the core characteristics that that you need to possess. And I think one big, big thing is curiosity i think for this role in venture capital and don't get me wrong there's, there's plenty of other positions and here i'm specifically saying like in the investor position within the venture capital firm you've got to be very curious and and eager to learn about new things because that is something that you you have to be doing and that's something that's super important for you to get excited about rather than it might not suit a certain person who wants to spend five years solving a single problem. I I wouldn't necessarily say that an investment role is the right position for, for that individual. I mean, by all means, you can have a specialism and really understand the ecosystem, but I think you have to have a natural curiosity of wanting to know what's going to be the future of how our world is going to look like. And I think that off lands quite well in the interview. And if you can demonstrate that by a blog, by building a network of people that share that same interest as you, by keeping up with the latest tech news, all those sort of things, you, you don't have to necessarily demonstrate it by, um, well, it's, yeah, by, by your role, although by all means you can, but also it's a chance to really shine with your extracurricular activities to, to demonstrate that, that desire to learn more about what's up and coming and what's new. So that, that's a, a trait I think VCs are looking for. No, exactly. I think demonstrating curiosity goes a very long way. I mean, the, the job itself is combined with, with you know, what in another industry someone might consider distractions. Um, but there are very few kind of roles in the world where you get to, you know, context switch from learning about, about I don't know, microgravity um, for cell research. And then, you know, in the next hour switch to um, looking at tax law software. So yeah, um, I mean, to do like jokes, but it's actually serious. Like that—that's kind of the job. You just never really know what's going to be around the corner, and you have to get up to speed with the latest technology. And like for me, it's just like an ultimate privilege to—I always like to say, like stand on the shoulders of giants, right? You you speak to founders that have spent years, often perfecting their pitch, all their knowledge they've combined into a beautiful thirty-minute presentation, and you can just steal that, and then that knowledge is is yours to to like admire own and understand whilst that person's taken you know years to to make sure that they've phrased it in such a way that anyone can understand it so I feel like it's such a privileged position that you are basically at university every day where you get one-on-one lectures by professionals that are experts in that field so that's why I love the job in particular because it's, it's such an amazing position to be in you and you and me both um <laughs> maybe Maybe it would make sense to answer like the the kind of reverse side of this question. So sometimes they ask you what your your biggest weaknesses are, mm. and it's not every interview, but it would make sense to have an answer for that. Mm. Um, I've got quite a good one. Go for it. <laughs> so one thing I think 
that you mentioned is like that operational side whereby you support the founders. And it's kind of it's kind of a cheat answer, don't get me wrong, but I think what's very important to possess in in VC is a, like a level of empathy, which okay, bear with me here because it's sounding like a strength, but I would say a weakness that I I had to learn on the job quite quickly is that ability to say no. And I'm I'm like generally not very good because I want to help as much as I can the founders, but there is a certain amount of time in uh, an investor's day where you're getting paid to find companies that you're going to go through and invest in. And like, that was something I really needed to learn on the job. And so it kind of works quite well where you're looking for empathy, but you have to make sure you can control your empathy to a point where you're actually being productive. At the end of the day, the fund is paying for you to find companies that are going to become unicorns and Every company deserves attention, but unfortunately, like that's not how most funds work. So making sure you understand how to allocate your time and don't allocate it to companies that aren't going to be in the portfolio. You, you realize for a second, I thought you when you started mentioning empathy, I thought your weakness was going to be like, I have no empathy. I have whatsoever. none. <laughs> and I was just like, one, that's not true, but two, that's amazingly dark. I'm like, <laughs> a new layer that I brought on. No, no, for sure. Like, Sometimes I don't feel emotions. <laughs> I I laugh when puppies die. Um, like, I was like, that is a very meta answer. Um, uh, oh, no. But I think you know what I mean, right? It's so tough. I do know what the you mean. founders is just amazing. And you just think, okay, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be a fun returner, but I really do try, and it's something I need to to still work on to to make sure that like point them in the right direction that that I think hopefully will will make them succeed. And it's not always venture capital. And yeah, that's something I've, I struggle with on a daily basis. But hopefully it's kind of like a good to have it, but it's also good to manage it, I think. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a, I mean, that's a great answer. I think one thing to maybe add is that people are very good at like sniffing out the kind of fake weaknesses. So don't, do the classic thing where you say, ah, the thing is, you know, I'm just too much of a perfectionist. So I think 99% of the people that will interview you will be able to ferret out those answers and they will be a disbenefit to you. They won't help you. So just be mindful of, of doing that. But I would, yeah, I would, I would, I would name a real weakness and be very kind of upfront about maybe also the things that, that you're aware of it and that, there are things that you can do to mitigate it. The other thing is that, you know, it, depending on the type of fund you're going for, you may have specific weaknesses for that fund. So when I was applying to Icebreaker, they are a pre-seed fund. I'd never invested at the pre-seed fund. You know, investing in a company at the idea stage is like Mandarin to me. So I, I, I think when they asked me about my weaknesses, I was like, no have no idea how you really do that part. I think I can learn how to do it. I've been at the stage, you know, six to 12 months after you. So I don't, but I have no kind of ground experience of doing that. And that's something that I don't know how to do. And I want to learn how to do. And I have all of these other skills, which will be useful, but yeah. Another great answer today. So yeah, at least our listeners have two weaknesses in inverted commas to take with them. But yeah, as you said, just don't bullshit because VCs are professional interviewers. So they are very good at noticing when things aren't genuine. And that leads me on to the next question, which I think is an important one to be prepared for. So you know, I think hopefully in this mini series, we'll go through all the sort of things that you, you'll be asked, but also it might help give an indication of what your day-to-day job is. And one thing that is something that you need to be aware of, and I can, I see a lot of people who've done debating club excel during, during these sessions is that every week, typically you have a deal flow session. And during these deal flow sessions, you go through the companies you've spoken to this week and you have to sell often 
the company to the team as to why they should move forward in the investment process. And often you're met, rightly so, with people disagreeing with your opinion. And some people thrive in this environment. It normally turns out to be very, very interesting because someone's read this article, someone has this opinion, and it can be an excellent way to learn um, on the job. I, I don't know about you, Tony, but it's one of those those sessions every week is where I learn a lot. So this question, I think, is to identify how you might deal with those sessions. So the question is, what do you do in a situation where you strongly disagree with someone's opinion? Yeah, this is, I mean, this is basically every Monday and every Wednesday for me, or not every, but strongly disagree, maybe not every week, but at least once a month, I strongly disagree with something, um, which maybe says something about me. This is the crux of the job if you have a sourcing role at a, at a venture fund. So this is one of the most important questions you can get asked here. Um, I think what the interviewers are looking for is firstly some backbone. Um, so it's not palatable to have someone in a fund who kind of folds at every fight because there will always be disagreements and always be conflicts. And for for good deals to, to get done or for you know, bad deals to not happen, there needs to be some level of dissent within the organization to at least attempt to filter, filter out the truth. But at the same time, having someone who is tactful, measured and structured in how they disagree is also fundamental to firstly morale, but also to surviving in the fund and surviving in the partnership. So this is fundamental question I, I normally try to answer it I don't know how I normally try to answer it Francesca I don't know how I normally try Get to out the box uh, <laughs> yeah so, someone rings a bell <laughs> I think I think when I was asked this question I think very often especially it can be a challenging when you're junior in in the company and I think everyone and, and, and a lot of VCs are, have a very flat structure. So it's encouraged to voice your opinion. It certainly is at um, Project A, which is fantastic. But I think you can state your opinion, but, you know, be aware that, well, certainly I feel this way, that you are not the smartest person in the room. So just make sure you absolutely have the facts in order in terms of why you think. You can't just say, I disagree with you. You, you just can't say that. So you have to say, I disagree with you because I read in this article or I've spoken to uh, another person who has this expertise and their opinion is the same as mine, that looking at the market, X, Y, and Z will result in Y. Um, and this is not a good outcome for the startup. Or this is like my main concern. So it has to be like a very well-constructed answer. Actually, on occasion, I often do is, and especially with Zoom, you can have this privilege. I almost type out what I'm going to say before I say it. And then, you know, wait for reaction. So you can either get a someone that comes up with a very eloquent answer back and your opinion is like, okay, I've, I've changed it. If you still disagree what I said in the interview is that I would sit down reflect on what that person's had to say go away do more research <laughs> and then again send a very well structured email just to that person not to the whole company and and explain why or have it have a coffee meeting with them and and really really flesh it out I think I think that's quite a good answer so you you address it if if it's not resolved don't spend hours niggling that that person who's more senior to you <laughs> um, in that meeting and go away and and resolve it separately. Like I think you're with lots of very intelligent people who are open-minded. They they would not be in the job if they weren't. So really at the end of the day, it's up to you to formulate well-constructed reasoning and with as much research behind it as possible and and hopefully you get the outcome that you want but I think that that that's how I answered the question out of 10 Tendi what would you give me 
Yeah, uh, you know, I strongly disagree with everything you said, <laughs> and I don't have any reasoning. So I'll give you, I'll give you a ten out of ten. Um, but but I may, maybe just I also just thought of some things to to kind of add there, um, more based on kind of mistakes that I have seen across you know deal flow meetings across multiple funds. So I think just some words of advice, and I think almost everyone. Um, the interviews you would have seen these is never engage in what I call a pitched battle. So even if you strongly disagree, there are some, you know, whole meetings, especially if you're, if you're doing deal flow and you have to go through maybe like five, 10 companies where, you know, you have essentially like a debate, which is just kind of two members of the deal team just slugging it out for 15 minutes about like a question which they clearly aren't going to see eye to eye on and it's really not beneficial to anyone else and <laughs> everyone kind of watches awkwardly through the camera yeah. as like bringing bring jousting to the 21st century <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 also always very fun when it's like partner versus like inter that's always like one of the you know the, <laughs> you bring the popcorn do you today <laughs> yeah i uh, yeah sometimes you know you're kind of secretly cheering for for someone or the other and you just yeah it's always good um good entertainment and yeah but i think being very self-aware whether you're in the middle of something which isn't like is turning into one of these pitch battles is very important i also think just demonstrating to the interviewer that you're aware that there are you know there are subtle power dynamics right like there is you know some people just have more sway and so like you said Francesca coming to the the table with like strong reasons for everything is uh, for, for for what you're saying and for your your kind of point of view is key and I think related to that you often see the the kind of human tendencies to defend as a knee jerk, so especially if you brought the deal, like, and and someone criticizes it for some reason, there is like a. I often see people, including myself, have a tendency to kind of knee jerk and say, "No, no, no, the market is really big." When because someone else said the market is small, and there are often times in the deal process where you just don't know and you haven't done that work, and being very self aware and realizing whether you're defending on principle or defending because you're kind of your your ego is defending the, your point of view and you actually don't know or are wrong is is pretty important to to that process um and so kind of being aware of all of those little cognitive tricks and biases and making sure that you um highlight in your answer that you are aware of those um helps because the person interviewing you will have definitely seen them in action in their own Monday off Monday meetings yeah no I think that that's an, an excellent point shall we go on to the next question yes let's um so the the next question is perhaps an opportunity to be a bit more creative um and really so to speak spread your wings <laughs> um but it's it's not uncommon so having a good answer answer for this is 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 pretty helpful and it is some version of what do you want to accomplish in your first year at the fund mm. um and i am going to let you uh just go take the the first crack at answering that one thanks Tony. um i think this one you need to be careful with to be honest and if you can get a good understanding either through the job description or having a coffee with other associates uh, who work there. Top tip, really do try and do that before you have an interview because they'll give you plenty of top tips of, of what your role is going to look like. Because if, for example, your role is mainly focusing on sourcing and you say, I want to spend 90% of my time supporting on the operational side a portfolio company, that's obviously not going to land very well. So I would say adjust your answer accordingly to almost what they want to hear here, unfortunately. Um, it might not be exactly what you want to achieve, but you once you're in, you can work on that, if you know what I mean. So make sure that what you want to accomplish is in line with what they're expecting you to accomplish, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I mean, it sounds 
like a stupid, clearly obvious thing, but I've, I've actually made that error. So yeah, just get that balance right. And in terms of the specific answer, again, another, I'm kind of dancing around because I think it really does depend from fund to fund. I'd be careful about saying I want to source five deals in the end in the year because it really is a bit luck of the draw and it almost indicates a non-collaborative vibe that it's kind of although Dende mentioned a lot of your work is quite independent very often if a VC does a deal it's everyone's deal and so I would say I would like to support on at least five deals. So you're not ruling out that you're going to source them, but it's also being part of that journey of getting to them to a point of, of investing in them. It's it, but it's also demonstrating you're up for supporting the team. It's a, a team collaboration activity of getting them there. Market research, so creating a piece on market research is also or like finding a, a niche is certainly quite a safe answer again <laughs> um, in that, you know, but be warned, they will ask you what would be something you'd be interested in doing. Don't do something that's not even related to what the fund's looking at or, or that you don't think they would even do in the first place. Or indeed, someone already has that specialism. <laughs> um, so I'm sorry, I kind of given you a bit of a cop out answer Tindy, but I think it really does depend on what your role is going to be and make making sure it's aligned with like a your skill set and and b what will be expected of you yeah, yeah I mean I think alignment is is actually key to kind of answering all of these questions even the, the ones we've gone through before so all of the answers as well you need to kind of look at for the frame of what are this specific fund's proclivities and, you know, what do I want to do and how did those things kind of match up with this fund's uh, idiosyncrasies? So definitely think it's pretty key. I mean, there are just a few maybe <laughs> buzzwords which you can use in this que- answering this question. Uh, so unicorn. I love to... <laughs> yes, <laughs> unicorn. Unicorns. Uh, or is it, you could use unicorns anywhere. It's just... Just wherever you go in this in this world, but I think yeah, I like to use the word learn a lot. Um, so I oh, always yeah, talk, that's I always plan. I always talk about learning all, all kinds of things. It does two things. So it, it's it's neutral in the sense that the people inside the fund will have a much better um, understanding of what can be done in a time frame um, than you will at at that specific institution. So in some funds, which are a bit slower moving then framing things as, as, as learning helps because, you know, in some institutions, there's no way they're going to give you that responsibility in a year to, you know, do source seven investments. In others, yes, that, that's fine. But it kind of couches your answer in the case that you haven't had a chance to speak to the associates, et cetera. And then it allows you to also kind of put relatively ambitious things into your answer which kind of show that you're willing to I don't know, strive so to speak accomplish a lot without them sounding you know ridiculous to the listener or un- unachievable so I think couching some of the maybe more ambitious goals as learning is tactically quite helpful here yeah no and actually I think I, I mentioned it earlier in terms of like maybe quite a good one to say is you know market map a sector and identify startups within there like that's and then that's like a quite a safe answer and I think as I said they're gonna ask what sector is that gonna be and so I've kind of already uh given you some suggestions as like what not to say but maybe we can dive a little bit more because the next question we had on our list was tell me about a sector you're particularly excited about so yeah Tunde, like over to you like why are they asking this question in relation to your personality and and cultural fit yeah why are they asking you this yeah so this is always a fun question I I have my own you know, personal thoughts about this question and whether I think it's fair or not, but we can go into that a bit later. But I guess the reason why they're asking about 
they're asking this question is that they want to know that you are, so to speak, one in flow, that you're thinking about investing, you're thinking about companies and you're thinking about where opportunities may lie. And I guess that's a large part of the role is figuring out whether to, to use a sporting analogy, um, which is never a good thing, but to figuring out where the ball is going, um, so to speak. And I've heard is, worse sporting analogies. That's yeah, this is this is from a man who I don't think has watched any football in like 10 years. I want to admit that. <laughs> I don't. You might have just yeah, dropped off like a thousand listeners. <laughs> good riddance. Um, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> but Quite right, quite right. Okay, ball uh, is rolling. Yeah, um, so now that we've lost those listeners um (laughs) so and then i guess the second reason for this question is they the question isn't just you know pick your favorite sector in the way that you know you'd ask a toddler to pick their favorite color you're also kind of implicitly expected to unpack why exactly that is your a sector that you're particularly excited about um in detail and the 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 interview work gets a chance to unpack your thinking. So unpack whether you think structurally, whether you think in a way that like a, a venture capitalist would think, kind of taking taking into account a lot of the things that we spoke about earlier in fund mechanics, and whether you can you know identify good opportunities. And and so whenever I answer this question, or whenever I actually went into an interview, firstly, I had normally at least one or two sectors, or normally more than one, but yeah, two or three sectors that I was excited about. So I think when I was on the kind of interview circuit, I was very interested in no code, um, as well as also having a, a thesis around um, game tech, um, so to speak. But um, I would, I'd have one or two sectors that I was interested about. And I think the thing that you should go for here is depth rather than breadth and especially the more kind of popular the sector is the deeper you have to go and the reason why you have to go so deep is that you don't want to be sat at the point where you're regurgitating generic tech crunch think pieces about how no code is the future you maybe want to be able to so for no code for example there's this concept called like the um, the no-code stack, where you're basically com- combining three types of tools. So database-style tools, such as like Airtable, uh, front-end tools, such as like Webflow, and then I guess kind of connecting tissue tools like uh, Zapier and Integromat um, into, into the stack. And then there are a bunch of other services which do very specific roles in there. And you know, that is probably like the level of depth that you would need to go to. So you can't just say, okay, no code is a is a cool trend. You you need to have some kind of nuance as to why the trend is particularly exciting, what opportunities you think are going to emerge, and maybe even like a sub segment of that of that trend or of that sector, you know, why it's growing and how you would go about looking for investments there. And often I would also try and come with maybe one or two investments that would be interesting to look at to the fund in that specific sector. Nice. No, I think that's a really well formulated sort of little package that you can come forward and and feel confident about. I think one similar question that I'm often asked, which is a lot harder, is that, and it's sort of linked to the, the the company evaluation, but often it can be asked in a more broad sense of saying, last mile delivery, what do you think? Would you invest in this space? Would you not invest in this space? Or, you know, um, mobility scooters, go. And like, it is a really challenging question because obviously, I mean, you're really in luck if you know a lot about the space. But I think what they're uh, do you're you're gonna say something. I mean, you know a lot about the electric scooters. No, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm shaking my head violently. <laughs> just, just, just. No, no, no. Um, but like, it's a challenging one, and I think it's it's you know you're definitely at a disadvantage if someone knows the space better than you. But my advice 
make sure that you know the portfolios. If there's a company in that space that they're invested in, careful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because if you are like slagging that sector off, obviously um, you've got to be gentle. So the pros and cons of what you've seen in that market or indeed markets that are perhaps adjacent to it might might follow similar trends um, that, that you've seen before. So yeah, just because you don't know about mobility scooters, um, you would say that perhaps Uber is the version one of how that market might end up being. So just trying to grab as much of your knowledge. And again, it's linked to that curiosity of just absorbing tech news, tech information and applying it to that sector of what you think might happen, I think is, and and the pros and cons of, of each and how you would evaluate a company based on your knowledge of the market is what they're looking for. I don't think like I, I had a discussion about what is a better model, just eat model or Deliveroo, I picked Deliveroo, the investor picked Just Eat, and we had a discussion for 45 minutes about it. And I think, okay, like we both had differing opinions, but it was good that I had differing opinions. And I was asking them why they had that idea. And he was asking me and it was it was like a very good discussion because it was very interesting. I think that's what they're looking for rather than you have to have a very like decisive answer straight away. Um, so take it as an exciting challenge rather than, oh no, like I know nothing about it. If you don't know anything about it, a good answer that I've done in the past is like, this is how I would go about finding out about it. <laughs> um, and that can also help you kind of twist out of, actually formulating a, a strong opinion about the topic no it, it, exactly um and also just to to give you a bit of affirmation you were right deliveroo uh deliveroo is a much better <laughs> model than just eat so um there you go thanks <laughs> i i if that if should we start work, a fund <laughs> if you work with that person now um <laughs> wink and i will take it back um <laughs> yeah <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's, yeah. I mean, I think it's, to be honest, it is, it, it, maybe, maybe I'll add a bit about why I don't like this question as well, because I think. Uh, Which one? The one about the, um, the sector, here's a sector go. Both of them, yeah. but the, here's, the, <laughs> but I, I don't like to tell me about a sector um, that you're particularly excited about. And the reason why I don't like it is that you kind of, it, it basically opens you up to, like let's say the whims of the of the of the listener in a way which most other questions don't because there are some sectors which people are like a hard pass on so for example a lot of vcs in 2021 hate marketing tech they hate every form of marketing tech you mentioned marketing tech they basically their eyes roll into the back of their heads <laughs> yeah. they explode they like pass companies straight away so if you say i really like marketing tech you're kind of there's you, you know, unless you're talking to the most open-minded person or someone who's really like dedicated to like hearing the argumentation rather than a tired associate, which sometimes happens, you are talking to just a tired associate who's been thrust into an interview, you can be in a lot of trouble if you kind of pick the wrong one. And especially if you have like, you know, what I'd say, like multiple interests. I felt when I was interviewing that when I got asked this question I was like okay I have three and now I'm trying to like guess which one you like the most not because I can defend them you know defend one better than the other it's just I have to like pick the 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 one which hopefully aligns best with you and then you kind of get a halo effect of being like oh you like you like no code I love no code too you let's be friends (laughs) which is tragic but it happens (laughs) <laughs> and you'll get the job <laughs> yeah and you'll get and you'll get the job I mean I definitely had one where I mentioned a sector and a partner at a firm showed me his tattoo of something related to that sector and I was like well this is uh, yeah that's dedication yeah I was like this is well I guess that was the right answer now I'm trying to um, so, now I'm seriously trying to think of like what that tattoo was really yeah I can't say more 
not got that. Okay, everyone's imagination is swirling now. Um, uh, but yeah, wow, that that's that's some serious stuff. Like a tattoo in relation to your passionate investment criteria. <laughs> I I like that. I like to think that he actually had. I like to think that he or she actually had had multiple tattoos pertaining to different sectors, just to show candidates he liked just to give everyone a little pick me up in the in mid mid interview so that's <laughs> well that's awfully empathetic <laughs> <laughs> more empathetic than you francesca for sure for sure um and and talking of controversy i i've got a question that i have in mind and this really flummoxed me I have to say and maybe maybe a top tip when asked a very challenging question a way to bide yourself more time is to say hmm that's very interesting could I hear how you would answer this question <laughs> uh, and it's great because normally the person has thought of an answer to this challenging question so you know, you have a couple of minutes kind of half listening to what they're saying to to formulate one answer back, which is perhaps uh, uh, a little left field to what they've just said. <laughs> so you can align yourself with their thought process. So um, you'll get what I mean with this question. So the question is, what is something you believe in that other people might find controversial? Yeah, that's a that's a toughie. Um I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, in light of the fact that I answered the last one, I'm going to defer to your <laughs> expertise here. Um, so as, as I mentioned, I said, I was, I was completely flummoxed by this question when I was asked. Um, so I have to say it was, it was a pretty poor answer, but I think I kind of got away with it because EdTech came up. As, as an area that they were very interested in investing in. And as part of the conversation, we, we discussed the topic a lot. And so I kind of pulled from what they were speaking about in relation to ed, ed tech. And I, I said, the controversial thing that I believed in was that all you needed to succeed in life was an education and love. And I would say that a lot of people would disagree that there are many other things that they would prioritize over those two things in order for, for an individual to succeed. But it kind of tied in quite nicely from the ed tech conversation we were having of how the importance of education, the future of our world. And I just threw in love there because I think it's just like a very important thing for, for someone to to believe in themselves, believe in what they're doing, et cetera. But uh, yeah, like it, it, perhaps not so controversial in like, I don't believe in God kind of one, because in an interview <laughs> setting, you, you don't want to be too wild. So yeah, I mean, good luck when someone asks you that question. But how I put it was to try and bring something into the answer that we'd previously been discussing that wasn't too offensive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether you yeah. think that is a good answer, Tindy, but it, it didn't land too badly. I mean, I've, I think, you know, that is a that is a, a good answer. I feel like you could make it more controversial. I have some ideas. Yeah. So okay. if you said, oh, like, please. you know, the only things you need to succeed in life are an education and spite. <laughs> like, and just, yeah, just like a, <laughs> like a chip on your shoulder, which you're just... You know, yeah, I'm not sure how that would land. <laughs> but I feel like it's a really powerful recipe. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you could probably defend it quite well. It's just animated purely by hatred um, and <laughs> and brain power, just succeeding your way. Yeah, but then back to like cultural fit. Do you really want to be working with a spiteful person? No, but then you just say, I'm not this spiteful person, but I know how to find those founders who are. <laughs> right. But I'm not going to succeed in life. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be moderately successful by backing the spiteful, the, the spiteful smart ones. <laughs> the uh, spiteful and well-educated. Well, I mean, there is something to that. Um, okay, so that's one suggestion. Any others that you've, that you've thought of whilst I've given you some time to think? 
I, I mean, I feel like a really controversial one, which is not related to, to, to yours. And I also don't, you know, I don't believe it at all. But like, it would be very fun to say, you know, I, I actually just don't like founders. Like, I think like literally like VC oh. taboo. Just if you, yeah, I think that there should be founder unfriendly funds. Not, not good. Not good. Well, but. I was speaking to a um, partner the other day who said that actually the best performers in their fund were the people that they didn't like nearly as much as the ones that weren't performing and they they really like those founders. So maybe there's something to it. You know, there are a lot of very, very successful people out there that you don't necessarily warm to. Um, but then mm-hmm. they are very, very successful. Maybe there's something to not using likability as a factor to play into whether you invest in them or not. But I would find that quite hard, I think, personally. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, but I, I actually had some <laughs> something constructive to say to like... To, <laughs> okay, yeah, great, and, please, um, yeah. <laughs> actually something constructive to say. So I think one one thing to have in your back pocket when you're answering this question is like a very kind of structured defense of your answer, I guess, given that it's controversial. One of the points in this question is, one, do you do you have like a backbone to say something, you know, that maybe people will disagree with, kind of tying back in with the how do you disagree question. Um, and two, just kind of testing a bit your analytical chops or your ability to kind of convey an argument in a convincing way so one these are not answers that I had when I was interviewing because I hadn't really thought about these opinions yet but like one answer that I would probably give yeah one answer that I would give now is that I believe that a lot of funds especially at the seed and pre-seed should not encourage a decent portion of their companies to raise series A rounds due to the kind of proliferation of alternative revenue-based financing solutions. So I think that this is not an attack on Project A, um, but this I, I think that there is a subsection of you know <laughs> SaaS companies which mm-hmm. have such kind of tight cash cycles and such predictability of revenues mm-hmm. that if you can kind of get non-dilutive capital um, yeah, and you have like an 80% gross margin i don't know why on earth you were like voluntarily diluting yourself and diluting your founders um so that you can turn around and spend that money in marketing so that would be like you know that's that's it that's a killer answer i have to say it's very strong particularly with what the market's doing right now yeah and and you know then you could kind of attack vc business models and like or, or like vc fund incentives in like a few like I don't know, creative way. So maybe the the reason why so many venture funds are kind of let's say ignoring this, you know, at least alternative fundraising path or neglecting it is because they kind of want the paper markups. So when you contact your LPs, which as we discussed in episode one, are your own investors, when you report to them, you want to be able to say, okay, we invested in this thing in, you know, January 2021 and now it's April and it's valued at five times the amount that we we invested at. And if you obviously don't raise an additional venture round, you don't get the privilege of doing that, even though it has no bearing on like the success of the company. So then like there's maybe a, a bias towards, you know, traditional venture funding, which actually maybe hampers returns in the long term. So I mean you could, you know, you could say something really spicy like that um, and rock the boat. It would be quite a good answer, but then you'd need to be able to defend it. And so you you want to also be answering from a position of knowledge. It's not about throwing out controversial opinions for the sake of controversial opinions. It's about throwing out things that you you know are structured and defensible. Um, and, and at least, you know, hopefully get the person thinking even if they don't agree with you. Yeah, no, I, I actually think it's it's a really like it's well be careful if you're pitching it to like a series a fund which are the ones that are being squeezed but it's it's a very valid point and understanding like that there are there are a lot of shifts in the market where a lot of series a funds are going 
seed and then a lot of series b c funds are going series d and like all these sort of shifts in the market but i think it's quite a challenging one to your point Tende. you said like i've only formulated these once i'm in venture capital um so unless you listen to loads of vc podcasts which i do encourage you to do uh, like yeah uh, it's a really challenging question so you know do your best. That's all I have to say. And and uh, on the side of caution. And I think final question, which I think is quite a fun one, is if money was no object to me, what would you be doing? I'd be a rapper. I'm not going to lie. Like, would you? Yeah, I wouldn't say that in an interview. But okay. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So what would you say? <laughs> um, I have I I never got asked this one, so I haven't had to think about it. But um, <laughs> maybe I'd still say that. Like I think they'd just be so shocked. Um, I don't yeah, know. and then they'd probably be like, "Over to you. Here's the yeah. mic." <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, I don't know. If money were no object in the world, what would I do? Um, Perhaps to give you some time to think about this answer, why do you think VCs are asking you? Um, so the aim here is likely to get at, you know, the underlying motivation. So what really like animates you, what gets you up in the morning? Um, and if you didn't have to think about paying your bills, et cetera, like, you know, accumulating coins for your offspring, um, or your future offspring, (laughs) um, what would you, you be doing? Because I guess there's also a point in this job where it gets pretty difficult, you know, you get stand with you know back-to-back calls all day your context switching you have portfolio work you have closings you have all of this stuff happening so they kind of want they want to make sure that they have someone who keep going so I think that's what's underpinning the question it's almost a question like but for money would you still be sat in front of me right now that's how I read it Um, and even if you wouldn't be sat here right now but for money do you have the traits of someone who would find this interesting regardless yeah um, yeah I still have an answer yeah <laughs> and I think um another kind of similar question is if I gave you 10 million what would you do with it although you're obviously like if money was no object it's slightly different but it's kind of like what what would you be doing if if you had a choice. <laughs> so this, um, yeah. that, that question I can answer. Okay. Um, Funding your rapping career. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would use, I would use. Uh, I would Five say, mil for the tour bus. <laughs> do people still use tour buses now? Yeah, use, yeah, like, for sure. Conferences, can you zoom into those? And, and but um, no, so I'm sure you can do like a co- concert on Fortnite, right? Like I think Travis Scott did it. <laughs> coming to a fortnight near you Tunday yeah yeah, I'd need to think of like a rapper and album name and everything but um, but, (laughs) so no so that I mean this that one's easier to answer so my answer would be I'd start I'd start my own like micro fund like that would be so 10 billion is and like that that is also you know not dishonest as well uh, that is what I probably would do with ten million, um, focused on the pre-seed, etc. And I mean that. that I mean pre-seed that's like a, any sector. No, agnostic, generalist at heart. Um, but I, I, you know, that would be, you know, that is like the most perfect little vanilla answer for for a fund. But it's also kind of true for me, which is also why I work in this industry and why I am kind of doing the job I'm doing right now. So I think that one is a bit of it. I mean, that you can use that as a cop-out answer, but I would encourage you to answer what you really believe so that you don't end up doing a job that you don't, you know, like you're not aligned with. Mm-hmm. But I mean, but yeah. the, the kind of if money was no object, the question is maybe a bit harder. And I'm sure you have a great answer for this because you're much smarter than me. Well, that's very kind. Um, so with the with the if money was no object... My my answer was aligned with the personality trait that I have, which is I'm very curious. So one of the things I said is that I would travel a lot more than than I do now because I feel like, well, A, I absolutely love 
traveling but it also caters to like that curiosity component that I have as I'm I'm always wanting to explore new cultures new ways of doing things how people work there how people explore there how people enjoy life there and so that's something that if I had all the money in the world I I wouldn't I would take full advantage of of what the the world has to offer in terms of uh, different cultures different countries etc and that is what I spend pretty much all my money on um, <laughs> is, is like a holidays bar obviously the, this last year. <laughs> um, so that's been sad, but that's something I want to fully, fully do once we're, we're allowed out is, is to experience so that. That was my answer of like, if there's money was no object, I'd spend a lot of time traveling um, and experiencing new, new things. Um, with with the 10 million, I think what they wanted to to hear is kind of your risk appetite. So I think today was is a great answer of like, I want to go VC, but I don't think there's anything wrong with you saying actually 50% I want to use in like, like I don't know, ISA investments <laughs> or or like put in a in, in a deposit in a home or um, put towards, uh, or like, you know, having children or put towards, um, supporting my family in some shape or form. And then the other 50%, I'd have slightly riskier. Then I would do like a bit of angel investing and then I would do a bit of stock market. So it's really how you, you demonstrate your risk appetite and your creativity with money. Like, I, I don't think again, I mean, maybe a wrong answer would just be like, blow it all on one weekend in Vegas I think probably that would that would certainly entertain the you did say you love travel (laughs) (laughs) to Vegas (laughs) (laughs) but but in terms of like I don't think there's there's any right or wrong answer but as as long as it's in line with what you've been describing as your personality and character and that is again aligned to the job, then I think you could be quite flexible on, on how you would answer. I would also, as part of that 10 million purchase animals, because I love animals and I don't care what the invest- <laughs> the interviewer says, <laughs> I am going to have my own menagerie and that's what I enjoy. <laughs> Traveling and animals uh, would bring me a lot of happiness and also supporting awesome technologies and helping founders get there. Um, but um, definitely those two that I cannot uh, afford right now um, to do as much as I'd like. <laughs> founders with animals. Well, not in uh, the only, only supporting founders with animals. That's well, that, that would be a real thesis, wouldn't it? Founders yeah. only apply if you possess a pet. That <laughs> that would be a, an interesting thesis. Not sure I could gain much funding from that. Like a serial pet owner instead of a serial entrepreneur who's had twelve. <laughs> Just in well, the just in the portfolio <laughs> photos, just everyone with like parrot or like yeah. bunny. Forget <laughs> the company logo. I'm just more curious about what pets you have. <laughs> just like on a call. Is that a goldfish in the background? Is yeah. is I bought one today just so I could pitch to you. <laughs> <laughs> um I you actually inspired me and I actually figured out what I would do if I didn't um if money was no object and I would literally just learn languages I love learning languages and I would just spend my time learning like you know obsolete and like somewhat like low low volume low kind of I'm doing air quotes low value languages in the fact that like maybe a, a thousand people speak them or something I would literally sit around like doing that um cool like I, I really want to learn like for some reason I really want to learn Breton like the kind of the only I guess the, the Gaelic language that they speak uh, like regional language that they speak in uh in France and okay for, for no real reason other than like I just want to learn it um that's just very cool so, good luck <laughs> yeah so that's I don't know I hope Rosetta Stone has produced one <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure Duolingo has something, right? Like, All other yeah. languages, language companies are uh, equally as good. I just want to caveat that. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just Rosetta Stone, a member of Project A's portfolio. <laughs> um, this, this podcast is brought to you by Rosetta Stone. <laughs> 
just clarify, there's been no funding by Rosetta Stone, unfortunately, for this episode, which which uh, I think is a nice way to conclude it. As as we, <laughs> as we we have no sponsorship, we're just doing this off our own back, and we really hope everyone enjoys it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, but I, I mean, I think this is a really good place to, to wrap up. I, yeah. I guess towards the end, we started to digress a bit. Parrots <laughs> and parrots and, and, you know, dying languages. But I, I mean, I feel like we, we covered quite a lot on how to answer some of these personal questions and the underlying motivations behind them. And I feel that you know, most questions that you're going to be asked anyway will be some form of flavor of these. So once again, thank you. Thank you for listening. And I just thank you, Francesca, for for answering some of the questions where I was completely foiled. (laughs) My absolute pleasure. And thank you again, um, everyone, for tuning in. And yeah, please do pop on to the next episode that we've got, which which is the final one on turning the tables and how you can win back some brownie points by preparing some excellent questions to ask um, the interviewer. And if you have any additional questions in regards to what we've just discussed, please feel free to shoot us on associatedpodcast at gmail.com. Give us a follow on Twitter. We'll really, really appreciate it and share it to a friend that might find this episode helpful. If they've got a VC interview lined up, hopefully this will be really really valuable resource for for you to share so thanks again for listening take care bye bye